0: Hello, everybody. Welcome to the decolonization, also known as African Awakening. Um, I'm cherry-picking, and I'm only going to be mentioning four countries. Obviously, that's a disservice to African history. Um, If you're interested, I could give you a lot more information, some reading sources. Anyway, let's go ahead and get started. First and foremost, let's go to Algeria, if you recall. The French invaded Algeria in one thousand, eight hundred and thirty. This is in between the two French revolutions that we talked about in December. Um, if you remember the Pied Noirs, they the AKA Blackfeet. They were white Europeans. They were working class, but they were still above the native. Um, uh, Algerians um so what this what this era is known after World War two we talked about this in class is you know this prestige of of Europe is, is is gone right there's no money there there's a focus on rebuilding their own countries and so a lot of the uh, colonies the the natives band together to, to to kick the Europeans out also you know very hypocritical that that the Europeans are still there. So in Algeria, the Satif massacre um, started actually on a uh, victory day in Europe on May 8th, 1845. And um, Algerians fought for France during the second world war. And as a celebration, they displayed the Algerian flag as a symbol of freedom. Uh, so the French soldiers didn't like that so much and started shooting. This led to riots. Um, at the end of it, was about 103, 103 pied Noirs were killed and about 15,000 Muslims killed. Um, back in France, there was a lobby, a Pied Noir lobby, pushing for like an apartheid system, which was you know similar to um, South Africa. Um, the full-scale insurgency began in 1954. And basically what... What this leads to are um, the and this is a this is a really complicated situation because you have Muslim Muslim Algerians, you have um, pied noirs, and then you have French. So you have like three different groups. So the FLN the, that's a combination of the native Algerians and the P- pied noirs, and they start launching these these coordinated small attacks on military. Posts and the French respond with what's referred to as ratissage, which is like raking over towns and villages, bombing, arrests, torture, pretty horrible stuff. 1957, the, F, the FLN attempted to alter its strategy by moving more into urban areas. Uh, the French then responded with helicopter bombings, and um, well, that, that didn't work. And, um, basically that's going to continue, um, until about 1961 to 1962, Charles de Gaulle, the name I have mentioned before, French president, uh, Christian Democrat, he starts pushing for secret negotiations with the FLN, um, by March 18th, um, 1962, we have um, the Evian Accords, which essentially hands over independence and leadership to the FLN. Um, there is a final bit of, of, of violence, um, and it's anyone associated with France that stayed in Algeria, really, really, um, they're called the Harky and tens of thousands killed in uh, 1962. Um, historians have debated on the number, 15,000, 30,000, close to 100,000, really, really, really violent. Um, so that's how Algeria got its independence. Now we're going to bounce to um, Nigeria. And Nigeria, if you recall, if you go back to that, that map I gave you, Cecil Rhodes, Nigeria was a British colony. It was established protectorate. And this is um, uh, when the, Br- the British controlled the economy, of course, and there was a, a push for uh, cash crops. And um, by 1960, there is a full transition of power. It's a, it's a gradual uh, power, so it's it's about a decade of gradual, peaceful. Um, just so you know, today, the, uh, Nigeria and the U.K. are trading partners. Um, another lasting legacy is that 40% of Nigerians are Christian. English is the official language. And the boundary of Nigeria is still the same as it was um, from the Berlin Conference. If you remember, I think in class I actually showed you the 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 uh, vice about the oil in in nigeria so now we bounce to libya libya was the last colony to be colonized it was conquered by the turks and then the italians took it over the italians were brutal to libyans the italians were brutal to the ethiopians uh libya was then defeated by rommel during world war ii desert fox and so then after world war ii um there was a kind of a coalition of British, French, and Americans that stayed inside Libya. Libya got its independence um, in one thousand, nine hundred and fifty-one, and there was a king of 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 um, Libya. Sorry, uh, by one thousand, nine hundred and sixty-nine, he is overthrown by a man by the name Muhammad al-Gaddafi. This is a bad dude, um, or good dude depends on whose perspective you're looking through. He has the nickname of the Picasso of Middle Eastern politics. He was a firm disciple of Nasser, the guy we talked about with Egypt, Um, you know, he saw Nasser nationalize the Suez Canal. He wanted to do the same for oil. Oil was found in uh, Libya. And so um, he was able to, and he was, he basically, Libya became the first developing country to, to, you know, really truly shared legit revenue for oil production. And, um, he led, he led Libya on an interesting path. He, I mean, if if you, if you have some time, I would, I would do some Googling on him. He, he's an interesting fella. Um, he is famous for his green book, which outlines his, you know, his political theories. Um, and, um, basically he, uh, Reagan at, at one point, oh, I forget what year it was, but Reagan, you know, calls him the mad dog of the middle East. Um, you know, he, Gaddafi gets really paranoid and not only is he, does he want to, you know, kill, kill Lib- Libyans that are against him, but any Libyan that has left Libya, like it's called liquidation of the dogs, like not joking you. He sends out like hitmen to kill these people. I have a great story about a guy in Colorado. If, if you remind me, I'll tell you. Um, 2009, he visited the United States to speak at the UN um, General Assembly. This was supposed to be a 15 minute um, speech. Literally, he talked for an hour and a half. <laughs> uh, crazy. So um, anyway, he um, in 2011, there's a civil war. He is um, killed and his body is like badly, badly mangled. Libya today, um, unfortunately, Libya was torn apart by ISIS. Of course, ISIS is pushed back, but um, that is that is a lasting legacy. Last but not least, if we talk about, let's go to Uganda, and we will talk also talk about this um, when we talk about the genocide in Rwanda. But Uganda was um, another protectorate of the English. A um, lot of cotton. Um, by 1960, they uh, they get their independence. And the, um, the leader of Uganda is Milton Abote, and um, he has some issues with, with neighboring you know, kingdoms. Remember, when, when, the, when the Brits and the Europeans did those lines, they didn't really take into account tribes and other kingdoms. And so basically, he calls in one of his army commanders, who's a dude by the name Idi Amin. And Idi Amin you know, helps control any, any, any kingdom or any tribe that is trying to assert its own autonomy. Unfortunately, Idi Amin um, in 1971 leads a coup to topple the government, and um, under the leadership of Idi Amin, he's, he's a really bad dude. Uh, the economy goes to trash. He kicks out all Asians, um, which was terrible for the economy as well. It was a major, majority of the trading class, um, and he literally just goes on mass killing sprees of any, anyone of a different tribe than himself. He was in power for about seven years, and he killed almost a half a million people. In seven years, that's pretty impressive. Um, Tanzania, um, basically the neighboring country, um, um, helps Obote return to power. Um, it, it, it all gets kind of confusing, um, but, but basically what, what uh, uh, essentially happens in Uganda is a group called the NRA, the National uh, Resistance Army, under the leadership of uh, Museveno takes control of the government and he is a dictator. And, and some, some historians will say this is a turning point in Ugandan history. Um, and I have here, you know, dictator question mark because he was a dictator, but the economy improved, education improved. Um, like he really stabilized Uganda. So it's almost like, you know, we've talked about this in class before, like maybe a democracy isn't for everybody. Like he really, he almost made Uganda like a, a model country. Um, Unfortunately, a, um, a group called the Lord's Resistance Army under the leadership of Joseph Kony emerged. And um, if you've heard of the child soldiers, you know, 20,000 children were abducted to serve in this this child um, 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 army. Um, this was huge international news. I don't know if you remember this in the early 2000s. He avoided, uh, Joseph Kony avoided capture for, you know, like 30 years. Um, today, Uganda, they're, you know, um, it's about the size of the United Kingdom, but, um, one of the, the, the only countries that literally ac- accepts all refugees, um, they have refugees in South Sudan, uh, and there, as a result of that, um, they, of course there is a humanitarian crisis, but it's, it's pretty amazing, you know, they, Uganda gives these refugees just this unparalleled opportunity to, um, kind of, ha- like, how to, to help refugees, um, But, of course, you know, in the West, we see this as a flaw because it's a one-party rule. So, anyway, just something to think about. Um, Again, I apologize for kind of cutting Africa short. Um, If you have any questions, please let me know. I look forward to seeing you. Bye.